Some of you have been very gracious this morning. There's nothing, as far as I can tell, on the pulpit or anywhere around it. That is Kentucky Blue, so thank you for being gracious. I think some of you have just figured you just by this time feel sorry for me. And, uh, yeah, so... You know, I, I watched the game the other day. For those of you that are not Louisville or Kentucky fans, you can take a break for a second. But I watched the game the other day, and I started thinking back to all the great Louisville teams of my, of my youth. And I started longing for the days of Milt Wagner and Billy Thompson and Herbert Crook and Purvis Ellison and, and these guys, LeBradford Smith, and all these guys that I, that I just wished for a time, for 40 minutes, could have been on the floor the other day. And, of course, it didn't happen. But anyway, I, 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 hope, um, I hope that the rest of you, whatever you have planned for me, will, will be as great as uh, those have already been. I, I got a call the other day with just simply a meow on the other end of the phone. That was, that was good. And so, of course, based upon the caller ID, I knew what it was going to be. And I thought very seriously about not picking up the phone, but I thought, you know what, no, I'll, I'll do it. Take my lumps, you know, that's the way it goes. But, you know, I did. I started thinking about those, those great players, those great teams that, that I, I wish that the, the guys that were on the floor at the time maybe, maybe had, had been taught by or learned something from. And I guess in a sort of a roundabout and weird sort of way, I, I want to to kind of lead into what we're going to talk about this morning, just thinking about great lives from the past. I was thinking about great players from the past the other day that I, that I wish that, that these guys could have learned a little from. I'm sure that in your life, as well as, as mine, you have people that have, have taught you something, have led you a certain way, have impacted you in a way that, that you look back on them. They may still be alive, they may be gone, but you look back on them and you say, what a great life they lived. What an incredible example. What great lessons they taught. Maybe you have a parent or a grandparent or a friend or a, or a youth pastor or somebody like that in your life, a teacher, whatever, whoever it may be. Uh, certainly there are folks who, who have lived those great lives. And, and I have, there's one person in particular in my life, aside from any family members, that is one of those great people. And it was my youth pastor when I was growing up. He just, he's one of those guys that when you get around him, you, you just immediately walk away feeling both challenged and encouraged to be like Jesus. I don't know if you've got any, I don't mean that in a, in kind of a sappy, spiritual kind of way. He's, he's, not, a, he's not goofy. <laughs> he's just one of those guys that when you're around him, you can't help but be different. He just oozes Jesus. And I mean that in a real way. He cares about you. He loves you. He's just an incredible man. Um, and, and I get the opportunity to be around him just periodically, talk with him on the phone occasionally. And it's the same thing every single time. He, he just encourages me. He's just a, a, a God-lover and a person that just spills over into everybody else. Those great lives that we know of make us better people. Not only just better people, but they make us better Christians. If you think about it, and let me get your help with this for just a second. What would be, if you think about great lives that you could learn something from, the character traits of, of great people, or the, the character traits that you want in your life that you know need to be there, that you really, really want, what are some of those things? Now, we're going to do things a little bit differently as we open. I'd actually like for you to tell me. Now, some of you, well, hold on, all right? Well, tell me, it's fine. I want you to tell me, what would be, say, a, a character trait of one of those great people? Anybody got one? 
Honesty. Thank you. What else? Compassion. That's a good one. Anybody else? Patience. Is that? Yes. Absolutely. Now, of course, you all are all calling out things that you're perfect at, of course. All right? Everybody knows that. No problem. What else? Anybody else? Being faithful. Absolutely. Humble. That's a tough one in today's world. What else? Anybody? I think... If you look now, now somebody said here, Drew says, wow, okay, the, the, the words of Jesus are typically in red, just so you know that. Um, you may have a different translation, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> that's pretty good, I like that. What else, what do you think of? That's good. What do you think of integrity? You think of somebody who's, you know... Just, they, they say what they mean. They mean what they say. They're a loving person. We can think of lots of different things. If you were to list out the names of those great lives that have impacted you, I would guess, and probably pretty accurately, that most of what has been mentioned, aside from the Kentucky fan thing, most of what has been mentioned, that person lines up with that. They are a humble person. They're a compassionate person. They're faithful. They're patient. They're all those things. They have integrity. I think great lives are meant to be studied. I think they're meant to be emulated. Maybe you've read some biographies in the past of some great people that have since gone on into eternity. And you read those stories and what they did and who they were, and, and you learn something from them. I really believe that great lives are meant to be studied and emulated. But at the same time, I really believe that greatness is not found necessarily in prestige or fame, or money, or popularity. You think of that list of people that you've got in your mind. Probably 99% of those folks aren't famous. They're probably not even rich. They probably just, just lived a great, great life. And they're important to you, though nobody else may know them. Greatness is a whole lot more than just money, or prestige, or fame, or, or power. Greatness is a lot more than that. It's often found in the unseen things. The things that you wouldn't first look at and say, oh, that's a great person. But once you get to know them, you truly understand them. Over the next several weeks and months, we're going to be in a series that we're calling 11 for 11. We're going to look at 11 great lives. What can we learn from them? Their character traits, their successes, their failures. The Bible doesn't hide the failures of its heroes. What can we learn from how God worked in their lives and what He did? So when we look at people like Abraham and Joseph and Job and Moses and Ruth and David and Elijah and Esther and John the Baptist and Peter and Paul, what can we learn from them? How can we see God working in their lives? One of the things I want you to sort of understand as we move through this particular study is that God never changes. The Bible makes that clear. He is the same, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, yesterday, today, and forever. Which means that when we identify the ways that God worked in the lives of great people in the past, guess what? He still is working in our lives the same way today. And so these folks that we'll study are not perfect. They're not superhuman. But they all yielded themselves to a God that wanted to work in their lives, that was loving and gracious toward them. And they saw great results as a result of that. And I really believe that God wants to work in and through us 
Maybe not exactly the way that we read in the Old Testament or New Testament because our circumstances are a little different. But in the same spiritual way, God wants to work in and through us the way that He did through Abraham and David and Moses and these people that we'll learn about. So I want you to to follow along with me this morning. I've got some guiding principles that I think will help us as we sort of move through this particular study. We'll look at the next couple of weeks on Abraham. If you've got your bulletin, flip that over. If you're not a note taker, that's fine. I just want you to kind of be aware of of where we're moving through this morning. The first guiding principle that that, that I want you to get that's foundational, that, that, that is... Uh, throughout the Bible is this, that God has always called His people to relate to Him in faith and obedience. What does God want from His people? Well, you can narrow it down to simply faith and obedience. Now, those are broad terms, and they include a lot, but I really think that throughout the Scripture, that's what we see. From the time in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, they were called to trust God and be obedient to what He said. God told them, you may eat of any tree in the garden except that one. They had to trust that what God was saying was true and was good and was right, and they needed to be obedient to Him to avoid the one thing God said to avoid. When they failed in their trust and obedience, sin was the result, and our world is now a result, obviously, of that first sin. But originally, in the Garden of Eden, that's what it was. Faith and obedience. Trust God. Do what He says. You fast forward over to the New Testament, you get a book of Hebrews, and there, there's a chapter, chapter 11 talks about faith, and it says in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to please God, it begins with having faith in Him. You cannot please God apart from having faith and trust in Him. That's impossible, it says. Then you turn the, the, the next book, is the book of James, and we, we follow up this idea of faith with this idea of be a doer of the Word and not just a hearer only. We looked at James over the last several months back in the summertime, and we find that not only is it faith, but yes, it's faith that leads to obedience. It begins with faith and leads, obviously, to obedience. God has always called His people to relate to Him in faith and obedience. That's been it throughout the entire Bible. Now, uh, we look at the character of Abraham this morning, and I want to draw something out um, uh, that's, that's another guiding principle for us. And it's this, that Abraham is our spiritual father because of his faith. And obedience. Now you say, why Abraham? Well, you got your Bible handy. I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans over in the New Testament. And as always, I tell you, if, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, if you, if you don't know where things are, don't let that stop you. Don't feel stupid. Don't feel ashamed. Go to the table of contents. Look it up. Get familiar with the Scripture. It's the only way you can do it. Every single one of us started, that knows the Bible a little bit, started that way, just looking, finding where things are. So look in Romans chapter 4. And I want to show you how Abraham is our spiritual father. Beginning in verse, um, verse 1, Romans chapter 4, it says, What then can we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, so here's, here's Paul talking to uh, other Jewish people, talking about he is their, their forefather according to the flesh. He's the founder of the Jewish nation. What has he found? If Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Here it is. Abraham believed, there's his faith, believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, the one who works, pay is not considered a gift, but something is owed. We kind of get this idea here that, that Abraham uh, originally placed his faith in God, obeyed him, and Paul is drawing the, the, the attention to his faith, not to anything else. Then if you'll skip down, look in verse 9. Is this blessing, talking about this, this faith, 
only for the circumcised, or that's the Jewish person, or is it for the uncircumcised, the non-Jewish person? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Now, I want to stop here. I'm not going to get bogged down, but the the sign of circumcision was a sign of the covenant. That if if, if a Jewish boy was circumcised, it 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 symbolized the fact that he was in the people of God. It did not bring about faith in him, but it signified that his parents were bringing him into the covenant and that God was, was uh, ordaining that. So uh, he's talking about when did, when did his faith come? When was he credited with this righteousness? Was it before or after he was brought into this particular covenant? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as the seal of righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, not only to those who are circumcised, but those who follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham that he had while he was still uncircumcised. Get this from all of that. that Abraham did not work his way to God. He did not do external things that earned him favor with God. This outward sign of covenant with God, the, the sign of circumcision, came after he placed his faith in God. And that's Paul's point, that the foundation of his relationship to God is his faith. And he calls him our father in the faith. He goes on to say in verse 16, For this is why this is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, the Jewish, but those who are also of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. So understand, that I'm not trying to confuse in any way, this, this, this idea that God is always related to his people, or has wanted them to relate to him in faith and obedience, is throughout the Scripture. Then we draw the conclusion here in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham is held up as this great example, the father of, of, our, of our faith, our spirituality, because he was one who placed his faith in God before anything else. So we have this great example in Abraham. Because he is our spiritual father, he is an example for us to follow. Abraham's example as our spiritual father is one that we must follow. It has always been through faith and nothing else. And Paul holds up Abraham as this incredible example of faith. And he says, he's our father. He's the one who shows us how to relate to God. So we see that there in Romans chapter 4. He is our father. And he is obviously, Abraham is in God's story for a reason, not just to tell a great story of an old guy who had some kids late in life. It's not what he's there for. Though that is certainly the truth. He is there to serve as our example of spirituality, to serve as our example of faith. So, because He is that, we draw the conclusion, you look at the first principle, God has always called His people to relate to Him in faith and obedience. Abraham then is held up as that example. We are to follow his example. His example was one of faith and obedience. So therefore, we must be people who trust and obey the Lord. Do you see the logic of where we're going here? I hope so. We've always been called to relate to God in faith and obedience, trust and obey. Abraham is held up as this great example. We must follow his example. Therefore, we must be people who trust and obey the Lord. Sounds pretty simple, yes, but it's not quite that easy. I want you to turn over to the Old Testament. We'll see the story of Abraham this morning unfold just for a few minutes. In Genesis chapter 12, the beginning of the story of a man known in this particular portion of the Scripture is Abram, before his name is changed to Abraham. 
We must be people who trust and obey the Lord, just like Abraham did. So we need, we need to look at his example of faith and obedience. Look at his journey of faith and obedience. See what can we pull from that. What is his example? Why would Paul spend nearly an entire chapter in Romans talking about this example of faith? Why would God write Abraham into the story, not just for them, but for us to understand today? Genesis chapter 12. Let me kind of set the scene for us. If you look with me in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here you have God showing up to Abram, Abraham, telling him, here is your new mission in life. I want you to leave where you've been for the previous 75 years. I want you to strike out to a place where I'll show you. I will make your name great. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll bless those who curse you. Or bless those who bless you, rather. Curse those who curse you. And everybody in the entire earth from this point on will be blessed through you. That's the scene. That's the call of God on the life of Abraham. And it's somewhere between verses 3 and 4 that he has to make a decision on what he will do on whom he will trust, and who it is that he'll obey. God had called him to do something that was very, very different than what was done typically in that day. Here's a man who's 75 years old, who is with his family in a familiar land, a land called Ur, you are Ur. And God calls him at a very advanced age to do something new, to experience something different, to leave all that was familiar and go to a place that God would show him. God didn't name the city. You ever been on a trip, you don't know where you're going, you just figure it out once you get there? That sounds crazy. That's the kind of journey God called Abraham to. Where are we going? I'll tell you when we get there. Okay, where's that? Show you once you get there. How far is it? Just keep walking. Well, um, you know, is it? I mean, we're talking a mile or two down the road. Just, just keep. I'll show you when we get there. Now that seems almost kind of fun, almost sort of adventurous. When you're maybe 15 or 16 years old, Abraham is a full-grown man, 75 years old. This is not typical for someone, not only of his age, but even during that time. People didn't move around a lot during that time. Of course, today. You can move basically anywhere you want to. You can go anywhere in the world. You got a job there, you'll go ahead. You can do it. It was unheard of during this time. So that kind of gives us the context of here's the situation Abraham found himself in. What would he do? Look at verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old. I don't know what happened between verses 3 and 4. I don't like to read things into the Scripture, so I'm going to take it at face value. I'm going to take it as if God shows up, tells Abraham what to do, and then verse 4 happens. So he went. If we're going to follow the example of, of Abraham, if we're going to be people who trust and obey the Lord, the first thing that we have to get is the word now. We have to trust and obey the Lord now. 
There was no delay. There was no, well, God, um, you know, that sounds great. I'm sure that'd be a really fun trip to take. You know, hey, we're going wherever you show me. That sounds great. Let me pray about that. What a spiritual response that would have been. Boy, don't we do that? Well, Lord, I, I know that, you know, I've got some, some things I know I see in the Scripture that you know, I should probably do, but I'm going to pray about that. Often our, let me pray about that, is a disguise for a lack of faith, a lack of obedience to the Lord. Not always. Certainly not always. But sometimes. God called Abraham and he went. Didn't need a second opinion. Didn't need to go consult some other people. Didn't need any time to pray about it. He just went. Now, you might say, well, you know, if God showed up to me and spoke you know, audibly to me, if I'm in my bedroom late at night and I'm praying, if God would just send some voice, or maybe Gabriel would come down from heaven and would show up in my bedroom and speak directly to me, here's what you need to do, well, I'd go too. I mean, who wouldn't? You know, it'd be crazy if God actually showed up to you in person and he didn't go. Some would say, well, you know, Abraham's things have to be easy. I mean, good grief, he talked to God. Apparently, you know, they, they heard each other's voices somehow. Understand, though, that, that Abraham had none of the Scripture. None. Not a single word of the Scripture had been written when Abraham got this word from God. We have the great blessing of having not God show up in physical form to us, but having His Word passed down, preserved for us exactly the way He wants it to be, so that we'll know His will, so that we'll understand how to trust and obey Him, we have a whole lot more to go on than Abraham ever had. And yet, how many of us will hesitate? We'll say, I'm not sure. And we see something in the Scripture that is plain. They're in black and white. God says, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to relate to me or to others. And we say, I don't know. God, are you sure about that? I wonder if it really would be different if God showed up in person to us. He's given us an entire book to know how to live. And unfortunately, in our world today, in our country, in our churches, very few people live according to the book. I don't know what we're waiting for. I don't know what the hesitation is. I'm not sure. But I see it in my own life as well. This reluctance to trust and obey God now. There are just some things we don't have to pray about. <clears throat> some issues that, that just are plain and simple. God wants you to trust Him. He wants you to obey Him now. Not tomorrow. Not the next day. We're not promised tomorrow or the next day. God wants our trust and our obedience now. Some would say that finding God's will is very difficult. I think in our Southern Baptist tradition, we often talk about the will of God as if it's something you'll discover sometime and maybe you'll figure it out and you're always searching for it. And there are certain little things about the will of God that God needs to speak to you directly on, but I honestly believe, I honestly believe that the true will of God is found in reading and studying and understanding the Scriptures and doing what it says. That may sound really simplistic to you. You may say, well, that's not very profound. I'm not a real profound guy. I really believe many of us, and often, unfortunately, myself included, are searching for God's will as if we have no revelation from God whatsoever. We've got more than Abraham ever had. God wants our trust, wants our obedience now. Not only that, but we are to trust and obey the Lord 
even when you don't have all the answers. Now, this is where it gets tough. Even when you don't have all the answers. God promised Abraham in, in chapter 12, there, the first three verses, that he would be blessed and that he would be a blessing. But Abraham had no idea when that would come, where it would be, and how it would happen. Now, keep in mind, God promised to make him a great nation. You know how many children he had at age 75? Zero. You know, typically, people that are 75 don't have any more children. It is a medical miracle if they do. Typically, not when you begin your family at age 75. But God calls Abraham out and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. Not only am I going to make your life great and make your name great, but you're going to have lots and lots of kids, as many as the, the stars in the sky. You won't be able to count them all, how many descendants you'll have. Abraham didn't know how, when, or where any of that was going to happen. Didn't even know where he was going. In Hebrews chapter 11, write down the reference, verses 8 and following. It calls Abraham out as a great man of faith. And it says that when God called him, he left where he was, and he didn't even know where he was going. Didn't have all the answers. Didn't have it in concrete form. But he went anyway. The truth is, if you begin to follow the Lord in your life, if you say, I'll submit to trusting and obeying Him no matter what, you're not going to have all the answers. I wish I could stand here and tell you that you'll have every single thing spelled out for you and that you'll never have a, a moment of confusion. You'll never have a question. You'll never wonder, what is God up to? But I would be lying to you if I told you that. Because that's not the way that it operates. You won't have every detail before you start to trust and obey the Lord. But true faith operates on what it does know, and it keeps trusting and obeying along the way as more and more is revealed. Abraham didn't know a lot about the Lord at this time. For all we know, this could have been their first encounter. But he placed his faith in God based upon what he did know. And more and more was revealed to him along the way as he just trusted a little more and obeyed the next step. And that's what life as a Christian is about. I don't have all the answers to Christianity. I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible. I certainly don't know everything there is to know about life. But I know this, I'll never figure any of those things out if I don't begin today by just trusting God based on what I do know and obeying what I know to obey. And then tomorrow, I'll get up and I'll do the same thing again. And then the next day and the next day and however long God allows me to live on earth, that's my goal, is each and every day to trust Him a little more to obey Him in that moment, and to see what God has for me, and to trust that more and more detail will be revealed as God sees fit for it to be revealed in my life. Now, for some, you say, well, I can't operate that way. Well, you operate in life that way regardless of whether you're a Christian or not. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have some ideas. You have some thoughts. You have a pattern that you really don't know. You get up the next day and you just trust when you go into work that there's not a pink slip waiting on you. You just trust that, you know what, the, the company's going to be able to pay you this week, the business will be good enough, whatever it may be. You trust that you'll actually wake up tomorrow morning feeling okay, good enough to do what you need to do. The truth is we all go through life without having the answers. And for me, I'd, I'd rather go through life trusting the one who does have the answers rather than trusting myself and making it up as I go. Abraham, though, didn't have blind faith. The Bible says he believed God. He believed God, the one he knew. There are going to be times in your life just like that when you don't have the answers. 
You don't have to trust God anyway. Based upon what you do know, based upon who He is. Maybe you're in a time like that right now. We need to trust and obey the Lord now. We need to trust and obey the Lord when we don't have all the answers. And not only that, but trust and obey Him when the road is hard. When the road is hard. Abraham, it said, left the land of his fathers. It says, go out from your land, from your relatives. He left all that was familiar. He left all that brought security and comfort. During this time, you have to understand that that comfort and value was placed on on the land and your family and staying close to them. Many of you probably can relate to this. You've had a family farm for years and years. There's some land in your family. And that brings some sense of security. There's something about that. Multiply that as far as you can think. And that's the life that Abraham knew before he left. Aside from a few that were close to him, Abraham not only left what was familiar, but he went alone. He didn't take a great nation with him. He went basically alone with his wife and a few extended family members and some people that worked for him. Certainly, at times, others had it better than him on the journey. Later in Genesis, it comes to a point where he and Lot, his nephew, look out over this great valley and and they have to split up because they've, they've just got it's too much baggage, basically. They can't all travel at the same time. Abraham tells Lot, you pick the best. You pick whatever you want, and I'll go the other way. Lot chose the best and settled there. Abraham had to sort of give up what was immediately pleasing for what hopefully was coming down the road from the Lord. Times of great confusion followed. The road got very difficult. There were times of temptation. There were times when his path of trust and obedience was not easy. And yours won't be easy either. Abraham had to get to the point where even when the road was hard, he would choose to trust in the Lord who was good, who loved him. And even when he was alone, he had to trust and continue to be faithful. The truth is, for God to use Abraham in in a very incredible way, the way that he did, Abraham most likely needed to be crushed needed to have all the things that were more important to him than God to be weeded out from his life. He needed to have everything stripped away. He needed to abandon everything. Nothing could be left that he loved more than the Lord. The journey of faith and obedience is not always easy. Because along the way, the things that you love more than Jesus Christ will be revealed. And they will be great things. They will be wonderful things that aren't inherently sinful, but they'll be revealed that they get more of your attention and trust and obedience and devotion than the Lord does. Those times are hard. There will be times when you're alone, not just physically maybe, but spiritually. If you leave the land of your fathers spiritually and you begin to follow God in a different way than your family, some of your friends do, you'll be alone. You begin to submit to the Lord in trust and obedience. You you immediately put yourself into a group of people that is relatively a lonely group. That sounds real exciting and real encouraging, doesn't it? The truth is, if we don't choose that road, then we're choosing to go down the wide path, it says, that leads to destruction. The book of Matthew. So what you value more than the Lord, what holds you back from complete trust and obedience will be revealed. The road will not be easy all the time. 
Some things must be forsaken for you to follow the Lord. Sin must be renounced. Maybe your past history must be dealt with. Maybe things that bring you comfort and peace. Maybe an attitude of worldliness needs to be left behind. Maybe even some family ties, though you're not trying to eliminate relationships, but you have to choose God over family sometimes. That's just the way that it is. The road will not always be easy. But God calls us to trust Him and obey Him even when the road is hard. He also calls us to trust and obey Him because God is good and faithful. The road may be hard, but God is good and God is faithful. Throughout Genesis, He kept showing up to Abraham, reassuring him of the promises, reminding him of what was to come. He kept encouraging him. In moments of confusion and doubt, there was God reassuring Abraham, you're on the right path. Don't swerve anymore. Stay focused. Abraham knew God to be trustworthy, to be faithful. And so he trusted the Lord. Despite his times of confusion and doubt, it was the Lord's goodness and the Lord's faithfulness that became the foundation of his faith. Not just what Abraham got from God, but who God was became the foundation. God is good and faithful. He always has been. He's shown that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, throughout church history, in our lives today. He has shown that He is good and He is faithful. And so we can trust and obey Him because of that. And not only that, but we trust and obey God because it pleases God and it brings His blessing. It pleases God and it brings His blessing. You realize that all the promises God made to Abraham came true? All of them. He didn't see them all immediately. And he didn't see them all at once. In fact, he's dead before a lot of them come true. But God, through the Scripture, shows us that he was faithful to Abraham and all the promises came true. God's promise to Abraham was to make him into a great nation. Maybe in your life, you'll see God give you influence and impact when you trust and obey him. He promised to bless him in a variety of ways. Can I explain to you the full blessing of God? I hear the prayer this morning. Nelson prays for the offering. This is, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Nelson, I'd imagine you, you can't even list them all. You, you can't even put into words all the blessings of God. They begin first with salvation and then extend from there. You can't even list them. All we can pray is, God, thank you for your blessing. Abraham was promised God's blessing. And so are you when you trust and you obey. Abraham was promised that his name would be made great, that his reputation, his legacy would be preserved as a person who loved and feared and trusted in the Lord. He wound up with greater influence than he ever could have if he had stayed where he was and not trusted God. Abraham was also promised that he would be a blessing, that his obedience to the Lord would eventually be contagious and it would spill over. You realize that your obedience to God is, is not isolated? It has an effect on your family. It has an effect on your workplace. It has an effect on your friends. It's just like sin. Sin's not isolated. It spills over everywhere. It's not just you, and well, it's just me, and I'm dealing with this. No, no, it spills over everywhere. But righteousness and faith and obedience are the same way. You want to impact your family in 2011? Be a person who trusts and obeys the Lord. God also promised Abraham that he would repay those who treated him good or bad. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord in the New Testament. 
God will always make sure that you are vindicated, whether it's on this earth or in the life to come. You need not worry about what people think. And He also promised that all people, from that point forward, be blessed through Him. You realize that Matthew chapter 1, we looked at the last couple of weeks, that Jesus comes through the line of Abraham. The ultimate and final and greatest blessing God could have ever given the world, His Son, Jesus Christ, comes through Abraham. There's the great blessing for the world. God blesses faith and obedience, I really believe, in much the same way today. I really believe that in the same way that God blessed Abraham, He'll bless us today if we trust and obey Him. We need to do it now. We need to do it when we don't have all the answers. We need to do it even when the road is hard. We need to trust Him and obey Him because He is good and faithful and because it pleases Him and it brings His blessing. And so, like Abraham, maybe it's time for you or for me to leave what is familiar, to forsake what is sinful, what is worldly, what is comfortable, and so on, for the purpose of trusting and obeying the Lord in every single area of our lives. So in what area is God speaking to you today? What is it? Is it salvation? Have you been dodging God's call of salvation on your life? Have you understood the truth that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope for salvation? That you may go through this world and have a very successful or even fulfilling life, but spend eternity in hell apart from Jesus Christ if you don't on this earth place your faith in Him. Have you been dodging that? The truth in the Scripture is not only is God just, that He will punish sin, but He is loving and gracious at the same time and came in the form of Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice and substitute for our sins. He loves you. And He proved it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, He demonstrated that, that while we were still sinners, in the midst of our sin, Jesus died for us. But He didn't stay dead. He was raised again, and the Bible says He reigns now at the right hand of God in heaven. And He reigns also in the hearts of those who will believe in Him. Maybe that's the area God is speaking to you today. It comes through faith and nothing else. We see that proved in the Scripture over and over. Or maybe for you, you say, you know what? I, I really believe I'm already a Christian. I've already been saved. I've begun the journey of faith. Maybe it's an issue at work that God needs your trust and your obedience. Maybe it's an issue in your home or in your dating life. Or maybe it's about your image, whatever it is. Maybe it's about your future or a decision that you're in the middle of making right now. Maybe there's a particular area of ministry that you know God has called you to get involved with and pour your life into, and you've been resisting, you've been reluctant. Maybe there's a holy anger that God is stirring up in you toward a particular issue. And you say, I want to address that. I want to be a part of the solution. God, use me. Maybe there's an issue in your finances, the way you handle your money, that God has called you a long time ago maybe to trust Him and obey Him in a particular area. Maybe it's to join this church. You say, well, I don't really know what all that means. But I want to commit my life to seeing Elm Grove be a place that reaches Murray and Callaway County. Love to talk with you about that. Maybe for some, it's even a call to, to vocational ministry. 
All of us, I want to say this, are called to ministry. Every one of us. If you're a Christian, you're called to be involved in ministry. Period. I'm not the hired gun to come in and do it all. <laughs> you know that. But maybe for somebody here today, you've sensed a long time ago, maybe you're a, you're a middle-aged adult, and you say, you know what? I know God wants me to be serving Him full-time in a church somewhere. Maybe it's here, maybe it's somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe you're a young person. And you say, you know what? I just want to yield my life to the ministry that God has called me to. Maybe there are relationship issues that you have, and God is calling you in this area. Trust me. Obey me. Forgive that person. Restore that relationship, whatever it may be. Now, I would love to. would love to be able to program each one of you. I'd love to be able to walk over to Danny. You're on the front row, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and get inside and open up his head and do it, you know, and do a little bit of work in there and just program Danny to do exactly what we just talked about this morning. I'd love to go to each one of us, and I'd love for you to be able to do that to me. And just open up my brain and reprogram it all to exactly follow what we've learned today. But the truth is, I can't make Danny do anything. You can't make me do anything. The only thing that I can do this morning is to reveal to you the truth of God's Word and pray that God works on your heart and pray that you are receptive to what He has to say and pray that you'll begin, if you have not already, or continue if you're already down the path, trusting and obeying the Lord. There's nothing that in my role as pastor here would bring me greater joy than to see our church full of people we're not perfect. We know life is messy. We understand that. But who trust and obey the Lord. As simple as that sounds. Nothing would bring me greater joy than to see a church full of great lives like Abraham. Trust and obey. Abraham left Ur, his homeland, to follow the Lord. And maybe today it's time for some of us <clears throat> to leave whatever Ur it is that we're in and trust and obey the Lord. <clears throat> I want to close our time this morning in a little different way than, than normal. Several weeks ago when we were in our study on James, we did this. And, and um, I realized that as we begin a new year, many of us are thinking about what we want to be and do and have and, and experience this year. And there are issues, I am certain, for each and every one of us that require our trust and obedience in the Lord. I've just listed a whole bunch of categories. It may not be your issue. But I guarantee you there's probably something. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to have someone pray for you in that issue. You cannot go through life as a Christian alone. You will sink and you will fail. Because God has designed the church to be one that supports each other. And one of the great ways we can do that is through praying for each other. So I'd like to ask, and, and if no one comes for prayer this morning, that's fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'd like to ask uh, our, our deacons that are here this morning. They provide some spiritual leadership for our church. I, I would like to ask if you fellows would, would join me down front, as we did several weeks ago, and just make yourself available for those who might need someone to pray for them. Are these guys perfect? No. And they didn't even know I was going to ask them this morning to come down. But as we close our time together, these guys will be, will be standing down front. And they'll be ready to just say a quick prayer for you. You may come and say, hey, I've got an issue at, at work that, 
I don't really want everybody to know about, but I need to trust God. Well, there's an area in my finances, or there's a relationship issue, or I have a tough decision to make, or I just want 2011 to be a year that I trust and obey the Lord. And I just want you to pray for me. Maybe you need that this morning. I hope that you'll be humble and bold at the same time to say, you know what, God? I don't care what the people sitting around me think. I don't care if I have to walk down that aisle and and everybody's wondering, what issue does that person have? Trust me, I've got the same kind of stuff. Maybe you'd say, you know what, for just a few moments, I'm not going to worry about that. I just want someone to pray for me and help me to see what God would have me do. You can leave here this morning trusting yourself, trusting your gut instinct, trusting your horoscope, trusting advice you get from friends, whatever it may be. Or you can leave here this morning trusting the one who loves you, the one who created you, the one who died for you, the one who has all the answers. The choice is yours. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Danny's going to play. And during this time, I'd like for you to respond to the Lord however He's calling you. What issue is it? Maybe one of these gentlemen could pray for you about. Let's pray together and then we'll respond. Lord, I'm thankful for the freedom that we have in the church to ask for prayer. Lord, make us a people that are not scared to admit our own need for things just like that. But I pray for those who are on the verge now of even just getting up and asking for prayer. I pray to give them boldness and courage. Make us different, Lord, in 2011. Make us a people who, like Abraham, respond to you in trust and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If Danny plays, won't you come?